Hello, what's your point? You know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, Garnett, the important role that you're playing on WPKN in not simply independent journalism but making sure voices get out. The reality is that as we talk about social media and criticism and hashtags, conversation, like deep dialogue about these issues is really what we're going to need if we're going to ever get to that point of reimagination. So I just wanted to, to thank you. You know, we've got a list for the revolution, um, and that revolution really is going to uh, have to be one that allows us to, to conquer these inequalities and move forward as, as, a, as a nation as a whole, but also as a community united. Okay, thank you so much. very important for the continuation and maintenance of a democracy. One should be tolerant of all views different to yours. It is much better to use words to settle differences than with weapons. You see, weapons destroy human beings. When all these differing views are put together, consensus should be found to move the nation forward together for one common cause. At the end of an argument, we may disagree, but not become disagreeable. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of What's Your Point here on WPKN Radio. I am Garnet Anchor, and uh, let's uh, start us off with my thought for today. Inequality can be done away with only by establishing a new society where men and women will live and enjoy equal rights resulting from an upheaval in the means of production in all social relations. Thus, the status of women will improve only with the elimination of the system that exploits them. May my eyes never see and my feet never take me to a society where people are held in silence. Thomas Sankara, president of the West African nation of Burkina Faso, between August 4, 1983 and October 15, 1987. And uh, my guest on the show today, Mark Potok, is a former senior fellow at the Southern Poverty Law Center. He served as the editor-in-chief of the Southern Poverty Law Center's award-winning quarterly journal, The Intelligence Report and its investigative reports. A graduate of the University of Chicago, Mark has appeared on numerous television news programs and is quoted regularly by journalists and scholars in both the United States and abroad. In addition, 
he has testified before the United States Senate, the United, the United Nations High Commission on Human Rights, and in other venues. Before joining the Southern Poverty Law Center in 1997, Mark spent 20 years as an award-winning journalist at major newspapers, including USA Today, the Dallas Times Herald, and the Miami Herald. While at the USA Today, Mark covered the 1993 Waco siege, the rise of militias, the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, and the subsequent trial of Timothy McVeigh, who was convicted and executed for that crime. Currently, Mark is a senior fellow at the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right. Mark Potok, welcome again to What's Your Point? Hello, good morning. Well, thanks so much for having me, Garnett. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, great. I'm happy that you are doing this. We have a lot of uh, ground to cover here. Uh, um, I know, the, um, what are you, how are you staying ahead of this COVID-19 pandemic with the latest variant and so forth? How are you staying safe and staying miles away from this problem? Oh, yeah, we're fine. I mean, the irony is that I'm in Alabama, which, of course, at one point was the worst vaccinated state uh, in the country. Uh, and now we're doing considerably better than uh, states in the Northeast uh, and places like that. So in any case, we're all fully vaccinated and, and uh, fine. So thanks for asking. Okay, you're so welcome. And I'm going to read uh, a little a news article here and then I ask a question afterwards. It's uh, uh, from the Yahoo News. It's called White Supremacy is Top Security Threat, Garland says. And it's uh, uh, by the national correspondent uh, Alexander Nazarian. It, and it was uh, written uh, Wednesday, May 12, 2021. Attorney General Merrick Garland told Congress on Wednesday that violent uh, violence incited by white supremacists poses, quote, the most dangerous threat to our democracy, end quote. That assertion reflects near universal consensus among national security experts, including those who worked for the previous administration. Garland's warning came during a Senate Appropriations Committee hearing on the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol, which was conducted uh, by supporters of the then president and incited by white supremacists, a group like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. Five people died as a result of the attack. And uh, this is uh, Garland speaking here. Quote, In my career as a judge and in law enforcement, I have not seen a more dangerous threat to democracy than the invasion of the capital. End quote. And uh, again, uh, Garland said, attempt to interfere with a fundamental element of our democracy, the peaceful transfer of power, end quote. The Attorney General went on to say, quote, there has to be a hierarchy of things that we prioritize. This would be one we'd prioritize, end quote. In 1995, Garland investigated the bombing of a federal building in Oklahoma City by white supremacists and an attack that killed 168 people, including 19 children. The bombing came at a time when militants were galvanized by violent encounters with federal authorities in Waco, Texas, and Ruby Ridge, Idaho. 
The threat of domestic terrorists receded in the public imagination after the attack of after the attacks of September 11, 2001, which were carried out by Islamic fundamentalists from Saudi Arabia and other nations. But that threat has diminished in recent years. Militant white nationalism has returned at the top as a top concern. And Mark, as a journalist, you reported on the bombing of the Oklahoma City Federal Building at the time. Just juxtapose for us that situation, the bombing of the Federal Building by Timothy McVeigh and this current period in which we live. What would you say? Your thoughts? I'm sorry, compare the Oklahoma City bombing and, and the January 6th insurrection? Is that what you're asking? No, not the insurrection itself, but that bombing and the lead up to that bombing of the Oklahoma City building and what is currently taking place with the resurgence of white supremacy. Well, in the lead up to the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, there was a, a clear sort of intensification uh, of propaganda from, from the extreme right. And what, what was really important about it was the way that those ideas uh, infiltrated uh, the, the so-called political mainstream. So it's not merely that the United States in 95, leading up to the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, you know, had a fringe of people who believed that, um, you know, uh, Jews were destroying the human race and, and, you know, black people needed to be, uh, you know, put in prison and all the rest of it. Uh, it's that many of these ideas had infiltrated the mainstream and in particular, the idea that the federal government was somehow evil. In fact, just a couple of days after the Oklahoma City bombing, there was a national poll done which showed that 37% of Americans then believed that the federal government was an imminent threat to their civil rights uh, and liberties. Uh, that poll was redone uh, just a couple, about three years ago, uh, and it showed, if I remember, that that number of Americans who believed that the government was their enemy had risen to something like 63%. So what I'm arguing is that, you know, we have seen this kind of rhetoric, these kinds of conspiracy theories, these demonizing uh, beliefs and ideologies uh, enter the political mainstream in a gigantic way. You know, I feel like I've, I've spent the last 20, 25 years trying to warn Americans uh, of this growing trend of the radical right. And now, uh, as you suggested in, in your introduction and uh, reading the comments of Merrick Garland and so on, uh, you know, most everyone who studies these things agrees that these ideas uh, have become very central, uh, in particular within the Republican Party. Uh, and so, you know, the, the insurrection uh, on January 6th uh, was very much the product of these ideas being pushed into the mainstream, and not only by a bunch of neo-Nazi and Klan leaders, but in fact by people who are very much uh, allegedly in the political mainstream. Yes. Uh, Congress, gonna, you know, Republican congressmen and so on. Yes, so, we, you know, we're going to get down to January 6th later on. But um, what, uh, who would you say... If you could pinpoint the cause of this resurgence of this dangerous phenomenon, is there a single organization? Uh, what can you pinpoint to say, yes, 
these are no it's certainly not a single organization and i think that there is very uh, very strong tendency on the political right uh in places like fox news uh and so on to blame the rise of, to either say that the, the rise of the radical right is not real uh or more commonly to blame it on completely trivial causes so you will hear commentators on fox news and the like saying well, we're seeing more of these uh, attacks and terrorist attacks from the domestic radical right and so on because those people need to see psychiatrists or they watch too many violent movies when they were kids or their mommies and daddies were not nice to them when they were growing up or it's all the fault of algorithms on Facebook, um, you know, pushing this kind of ideas. I think those are all essentially ridiculous and trivial uh, explanations and that what is really going on is we are living through a huge uh, series of socioeconomic changes. Uh, you know, and what suggests that uh, one of the things that suggests that I'm right about this is the fact that it is not only at all in the United States that we are seeing uh, this phenomenon, but in most of the countries of the Western Hemisphere, and in some cases, uh, very extremely so. I think of Hungary or Poland uh, or, you know, a number of Scandinavian countries and, and on and on and on. So uh, what I'm saying is that uh, we are living through an enormous backlash against very major changes in our society, uh, which are essentially uh, the products of globalization. And to make that concrete, uh, you know, we look, first of all, at demographic trends. The idea that the United States is about to lose in the next 20 years uh, its white majority uh, is a very central uh, part of the reason for the rise of the radical right. You know, we have tens of millions of white Americans who feel that somehow uh, they are losing the country that their forefathers built. Uh, and, you know, we are seeing this all over uh, Europe, uh, this reaction to immigration of people who are not white, perhaps not Christian, speak a different language, those kinds of things. There are other aspects of this huge change which we're seeing reaction to, for instance, uh, you know, economically. Uh, there are large sectors of, in particular, the white working class, uh, speaking of this country, uh, which are in some trouble. Uh, people who used to work in uh, steel manufacturing or auto manufacturing or textile uh, factories, those people are hurting and hurting very badly. And I'm not suggesting that they have it worse off than uh, minorities of color. They certainly don't. But the fact is uh, that many white people are, uh, feel that, uh, you know, the country is looking much worse for them. They're doing much worse off financially. Uh, you know, they feel like this is not the country they grew up in. Uh, and a final aspect is cultural change, the final aspect of things that they are kind of revolting against. And, you know, that is perhaps best exemplified uh, in the idea that it is now legal in 50 states uh, in the United States uh, to uh, perform same-sex marriages. Um, so, you know, what I'm suggesting overall is that, you know, we are living through a period uh, of very major socioeconomic change, uh, rather similar to what happened 100 years ago in the United States in the 1920s. Uh, and we have enormous numbers of white Americans reacting with fury. Uh, and, of course, this fire is being fueled, uh, in addition, by politicians. 
Uh, Donald Trump, of course, is the worst exemplar of that. I mean, he injected a poison into the society, which we will be many decades uh, in cleansing, if we're ever able to cleanse it at all. Uh, And there are, of course, many, many other politicians who are joining in, politicians, pundits on television, uh, even, uh, in many cases, uh, preachers of major denominations. You're listening to What's Your Point on WPKN Radio. My guest is Mark Potok, an expert on right-wing extremism. I am Garnet Ankle. Are you able to say whether online activities of the far-right players have increased in the last uh, five or so years? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that uh, online activities have increased on the part of the radical right. You know, it's worth remembering that back in the 1990s, uh, when the Internet was first becoming a kind of universal thing in the United States, that uh, many people thought the radical right would grow explosively because they would be able to transmit their ideology directly uh, to the people, to large masses of people. And that was turned out to only be partially true, you know, putting up a Web page somewhere saying that, you know, black people are criminals and uh, Jewish people are, you know, engaged in conspiracy to destroy America. And so, on. you know, immigrants are uh, doing our country and so on. Didn't really reach all that many people. But of course, we are now past the age uh, of simple uh, pages on the Internet. And what really matters now is social media. And I don't think there's the least bit of question uh, that there are enormous numbers of propagandists using social media, using gaming social media, uh, and so on in very effective ways uh, to help radicalize this country. I mean, I don't think there's any question that we are seeing a major radicalization uh, of the Republican Party in particular, uh, and something like 30% of the American people in general. So, uh, yes, uh, the Internet, uh, social media have been very important. What I'm arguing, of course, is that they are not the fundamental, you know, foundational causes. But there's no doubt uh, that the phenomenon of social media has accelerated uh, the, 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 the pace of this, these ideas of this propaganda uh, getting out into the general population. So what are some of the communications taking place by these far-right players online, what are they communicating with each other? Well, to some extent, it's a communication of or a discussion, you know, an ongoing discussion of ideology, right? Who is worse? Uh, You know, is it black people? Is it immigrants? Is it the Jews, quote unquote? You know, who is doing in our society? Who are the malefactors? Uh, so that's a, a large piece of it. Uh, more concretely, we've, we've seen an enormous move uh, of people on the radical right into encrypted forums, uh, into places that are not so easy to get to, not so public. Uh, and in those cases, in many cases, uh, they are using uh, this media to plan uh, events, to uh, plan uh, actions like the 2017 Charlottesville Unite the Right March, uh, in which one anti-racist activist was murdered, or to plan uh, around the January 6th insurrection uh, in the Capitol. So that's one of the more frightening new developments, is to see how useful the Internet has become as I say, not simply to spread ideas, uh, but to actually organize actions, actions which in uh, quite a few cases uh, have resulted in the deaths 
of, of uh, Americans. So Attorney General Garland has said white supremacy is a top security threat in the United States. Has it always been this way, where the far right poses a larger security threat than, say, the left-wing extremists? No, it hasn't always been this way. And, you know, sometimes when I read people quoted in the newspaper saying, well, you know, the, the, the extreme right, it's always been with us. Well, sure, uh, that's true on some level. I mean, going right back to the beginning of the American Republic, you know, you had, uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin and people like that denouncing the Germans. You know, the Germans were too stupid to be American. So, sure, I mean, there's always been uh, various kinds of prejudices in our society, and in particular, anti-black prejudice, given in our history uh, as a slaveholding nation. But uh, what Merrick Garland said and what virtually all experts uh, on national security and extremism in this country agree uh, is that the threat from the radical right has grown enormously. And no, it hasn't always been so. I mean, in the 19, uh, uh, late 1960s and uh, early 1970s, there was a very uh, substantial amount of left-wing extremism, and by which I mean, you know, bombing of banks and murders of police officers. Uh, you know, at one point there were an enormous number of bombings every week. So, uh, you know, what we are on the other hand, you know, it is worth saying that there have been other periods in American uh, history where we have had a major radical right. I mentioned earlier the 1920s. You know, while many of us think of the 1920s as, you know, uh, the roaring 20s and, you know, it was all everybody was having a great time going to speakeasies and, you know, sex was out in the open in a way uh, that it hadn't been before. The reality is, is that half of America in 1920s was already in a depression, the, er, the, the rural half, the agricultural half of this country. Uh, and there was enormous resentment. Uh, against immigrants, against people who were not white, uh, against women who had just uh, gotten the right to vote. Uh, and in fact, in the mid-1920s, uh, the Ku Klux Klan and other uh, extreme right organizations were able to get through an immigration law, uh, the 1924 Immigration Act, uh, which was a, uh, a racist quota system and which governed our immigration policy uh, for 41 years until 1965. So, you know, what I'm saying is that there have been a number of periods uh, in which uh, the radical right was very powerful in this country uh, and managed to uh, do some extremely negative things for our country as a whole. And here we are again. Uh, I think uh, we could arguably say, though, that these ideas, and especially the idea that violence uh, is the way forward uh, for this country, are probably larger and more uh, dangerous right now than perhaps at any other time in our history. You know, if we think back to the civil rights movement of the late 1950s and the 1960s, there was certainly a lot of violence uh, from the Ku Klux Klan in particular, directed at civil rights organizers and their allies. Uh, and it was a very scary and polarized time. And yet, the truth is uh, that the majority of Americans, even the majority of white Americans, uh, during the civil rights movement, did not support the violence of the Klan, uh, did not support, uh, you know, some of the more extreme statements coming from the far right then. And that is less true today. Today we see actual politicians 
you know, uh, uh, making statements uh, basically uh, flat in flat-out support of white supremacy, uh, white dominance, uh, uh, and so on. Hopefully we'll get to some of those politicians later. Uh, the January 6, 2021 racist terrorist attack on the United States Capitol building where five people were killed leaves a very dark shadow over this nation. Did you see any communication online leading up to that dreadful attempted coup d'etat? It is that was it was about to take place. And um, your thoughts on the January 6 invasion of the Capitol building? Well, you know, I didn't personally root out all kinds of uh, uh, underground communications, but there have been many, many, many reports by serious researchers uh, that, yes, indeed, there was an enormous uh, swelling uh, of propaganda and communication uh, leading up to the January 6th insurrection. Uh, You know, while I think it's a mistake to think of the whole insurrection uh, as a grand conspiracy, in fact, there were a number of smaller uh, conspiracies uh, you know, plans, for instance, by members of the Oath Keepers uh, to set up uh, kind of weapons catches uh, around the outer limits of Washington in case uh, uh, the insurrection turned into a flat-out civil war and so on. So there's a lot of evidence uh, showing that, yes, there was a fair amount of planning. Again, I don't mean to assert that there was some master plan by one group or one individual or President Trump, uh, but there were a number of people making plans, uh, and that is what led up to the insurrection. So, you know, when you ask me what was the insurrection, uh, what did it mean? I mean, it was the culmination in many ways of the acceptance of these radical ideas uh, within the political mainstream, and in particular, uh, the spread of those ideas or the, the propagation of those ideas by political leaders. I mean, let me just say that I think, well, you know, others may disagree. I think that all of the serious evidence has shown over the centuries that leadership matters. It matters a great deal. Uh, You know, it's worth remembering uh, that immediately after the 9-11 attacks uh, in 2001, uh, then-President George W. Bush, you know, who may not have been a terrific president in many ways, did go out of his way right away, immediately and repeatedly, to say, our enemies are not Muslims. Our enemies are a very particular group called al-Qaeda. Uh, and, you know, that, and they are not a genuinely uh, Muslim group. And, you know, and as a result, uh, remarkably, uh, after 9-11 in the next uh, six months or so, the number of hate crimes against Muslims, which had exploded in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, uh, w- reduced, went down by some 50 percent. So, again, I'm just citing that as evidence uh, that what leaders say matters and matters a great deal. And, you know, it's worth remembering about the January 6th insurrection uh, that Donald Trump uh, essentially urged people uh, to go to that demonstration, uh, urged them to, as he said, quote, fight like hell uh, in order to save their country. Uh, And it's not terribly surprising uh, that some 800 of them, in fact, did. Indeed, and he did say he would walk with them to the Capitol building, which he never did. 
Well, he's a coward, among other things. So, you know, so he likes to talk big and then go back to, uh, you know, his luxurious quarters at the White House and watch television. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that just speaks to his personal, <laughs> uh, you know, failings as a human being, uh, that he likes to talk big. But, you know, regardless of what he did himself, uh, you know, he led people down the primrose path to violence. Uh, and now, thankfully, uh, a very large number of those people are facing prison time, uh, which is precisely what they deserve. And the January 6th uh, Select Committee in the United States House of Representatives uh, is working to find out what really took place. But I guess at the end, they will find that the former president should be held accountable as well. And I wonder the reason all those Republicans who helped to cause that January 6th attack are still in the United States Congress collecting salaries. Your thoughts? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, not only collecting salaries, but continuing to spread the poison. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so we, we've heard a lot in recent weeks about uh, Paul Gosar, for instance, the Arizona Republican, you know, who uh, put out a video uh, suggesting, uh, you know, violent attacks on uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, among others, and Joe Biden, the president. Um, you know, and this is a guy who has been uh, a real radical uh, for most of his life. And, you know, he spent time after the uh, January 6th insurrection suggesting that really the insurrection was a plot uh, caused by the left. Uh, And it's also worth remembering that Gosar, uh, some months, well, in December, a month ahead of the January 6th uh, 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 insurrection, actually publicly warned that he and three other people were planning, quote unquote, something big, uh, something that would put, quote, maximum pressure, unquote, on Congress not to certify uh, Joe Biden as the uh, winner of the presidential election. So, you know, that looks very much like a direct hand uh, in helping to stoke the events of January 6th. And certainly Gosar is not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we see this incredible uh, Muslim bashing uh, by quite a few members of Congress, mm-hmm. Republican Party, of course, uh, and then the failure to in any way discipline or criticize them uh, by the House majority, by the House minority leader, Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, we'll so, get you know, We'll get yeah. to him in a little while, and so forth, and others, uh, if time permit. And the thing about it, let's stay on Paul Gosar a little. He is uh, the congressman from the 4th District of the state of Arizona. Uh, is he a, a white supremacist? Well, if he's not a white supremacist, he is certainly a fellow traveler, right? I mean, this is a guy who has attended meet, you know, for instance, he once attended a meeting of the Oath Keepers. The Oath Keepers are among uh, the most organized insurrectionists on January 6th. It was the Oath Keepers that led columns of armed men uh, dressed for war into the Congress, into the Capitol. Uh, you know, and Gosar was trafficking uh, and being pals with the Oath Keepers uh, long before uh, the insurrection. In fact, at a meeting of the Oath Keepers, Keepers Gosar agreed that we are now in a civil war. It's just that the shooting hasn't started yet. So that's a small piece of it. Along as far back as 2014, Paul Gosar uh, traveled to Bunkerville, Nevada, to support the Bundy family, uh, who were in an armed confrontation with hundreds of federal uh, agents. An incredible thing. 
uh, Paul Gosar in 2018 uh, in London addressed a rally uh, that was led by Tommy Robinson of the English Defense League, which is an openly white nationalist uh, anti-Muslim organization. Paul Gosar more recently accused the FBI and the Department of Justice or some of its t- their top officials of quote unquote treason. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, Paul Gosar uh, claimed that the Charlottesville rally, uh, the Unite the Right rally in 2017, was, quote, created by the left. He went on uh, to say that, in fact, maybe uh, the Charlottesville rally had been the product of secret financing by the Jewish financier George Soros. Um, you know, that is a classic uh, claim of the anti-Semitic and in, uh, including the neo-Nazi radical right. Uh, you know, perhaps uh, the most telling thing uh, about him was that seven of his eight of his nine siblings uh, wrote a letter, a public letter to the newspapers uh, describing their brother as having engaged in despicable slander, quote unquote, against George Soros. So, you know, is he a white nationalist? Yes, I would say uh, essentially he is. Is he an anti-Semite? No question about it at all. So this racist Paul Gosar should not be in the House of Representatives. I'm wondering whether the Speaker could unseat people like him because he has no place there. In addition to, let's continue a bit more about what he did with Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who he had a cartoon depiction of killing her and also doing bad things to President Biden as well. And when it was time for censure, it was passed. 223 with two Republicans joining the Democrats and 207 Republicans voted no. Well, I mean, it just shows you how radicalized the uh, Republican Party has become. Uh, It was only Adam Kinzinger, a Republican from Illinois, and Liz Cheney, a Republican from Wyoming, uh, who voted to censure Gosar and strip him of his committee assignments. A truly remarkable thing, given that, you know, the anime that uh, Gosar posted uh, was an uh, out-and-out promotion uh, of political violence, essentially of assassination. So, you know, but I mean, what we're seeing, as I say, I keep referring to the radicalization of the Republican Party. You know, we may not may or may not think of Kevin McCarthy as a white nationalist. Uh, What is absolutely clear, though, is that McCarthy is completely unwilling uh, to in any way. We'll get to McCarthy in a little while. We'll get to him in a little while. But um, I'm still on Gosar for a little while. And um, so they did nothing to him. All right. He's still there. So. I'm just wondering whether the, how the the speaker could unseat people like this because people are these people are not working in the interest of the people. They're just spreading wild, frivolous claims that can cause the lives of people. Because doing that to a fellow congresswoman could cause her death, as you said earlier on. Uh, well, certainly have power, and when they speak, people listen. I mean, there's no question that the uh, Republican leadership could, or, you know, could expel one of their own members as a legal matter, uh, but as a practical matter, there's no chance. Uh, it's out of the question. It's not going to happen. Uh, you know, look what, look what happened after this whole dust-up with Gosar. Uh, you know, and he was censured because there was, uh, you know, a bare uh, uh, Democratic majority uh, in the House. 
uh, and Kevin McCarthy's response to that was to say, when we win the majority back in 2022, I will probably be assigning Gosar to even better committee assignments than he had before. So that doesn't sound like a leadership that is willing to confront uh, the extremists within its own ranks. Uh, we should add that uh, the, those two Republicans who joined the Democrats in censuring Gosar were Cheney and Kinzinger, who themselves are on the January 6th uh, Select Committee to to ascertain what exactly took place and who caused it. Uh, you're in touch with uh, What's Your Point here on WPKN Radio. My guest is Mark Podok, an expert on right-wing extremism. I am Garnet Ankle. And uh, I have some more politicians to talk about in a while. Uh, what do you make of the crazy and stupid people who on the 58th anniversary of President John Kennedy's assassination on November 22 showed up at the Dealey Plaza, the site of the president's assassination, waited for his late son, John Kennedy Jr., to appear. Those QAnon believers say Kennedy Jr. and the former or the immediate former president are running mates for 2024 presidential election. Mark, what do you make of this nonsense? Well, those people are sick in the head. I mean, this is not uh, very new in American politics. Uh, there has always been uh, a fringe in this country uh, of people, well, not a fringe, a fairly substantial number of people in this country who are conspiracy theory nuts, who believe absolutely amazing things. So the fact, the idea that they're waiting for somebody who is dead uh, to appear uh, and make some grand statements uh, about the future you know, what can you say? I mean, is it really that different uh, from the QAnon uh, believers saying that the Democrats are running, you know, a secret ring of pedophiles uh, and so on and so on and so on? I mean, you know, that is one characteristic of the American radical right, which has always been so and, and uh, is really dramatic. Uh, you know, a famous historian, Richard Hofstetter, uh, wrote a book called The Paranoid Style in American Politics, in which he pointed out how very strong, uh, completely baseless conspiracy theorizing is uh, on the radical right in America in particular. There, there are conspiracy theorists everywhere, uh, but we in this country, uh, sad to say, have a particularly strong uh, uh, strain of that. Uh, you know, I mean, it really is quite amazing. But in any case, yes, they're really out of their minds. Uh, Lauren Berbert is a United States Congresswoman representing the 3rd Congressional District in the state of Colorado. She is a Republican, and one may consider her a far-right-wing extremist. Earlier this year, on the floor of the United States House of Representatives, she made some outlandish remarks. Among them, she applauded the 25 states for ending early federal employment be unemployment benefits. I must note, Colorado, the state in which she represents the third district, was not one of the 25 states that had uh, the early end to the federal unemployment benefits. Mark, is Berbert a darling of the racist right? Uh, sure she is. I mean, you know, perhaps more, uh, you, you know, what, what is more interesting to the radical right than her stand on unemployment benefits programs 
uh, is Boebert's engaging uh, in these uh, really remarkable anti-Muslim attacks, in particular against her fellow congresswoman, uh, Ilhan Omar, a Democrat of Minnesota, calling her, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, calling her all kinds of names, uh, and you know, she's part of the jihad squad and so on, and telling this crazy story, uh, which turns out to be completely falsified uh, about. Uh, her supposedly about her trying to get into an elevator uh, and her uh, joking and seeing a, a security officer coming in after her and saying that don't worry officer something to the effect of she doesn't have a backpack in other words suggesting uh, that all Muslims are essentially suicide bombers people extremely dangerous to this country and so on uh, you know when she was criticized uh, by another Republican congresswoman Nancy Mace uh, of South Carolina uh, I'm sorry, that's not true. I'm, I'm mixing her up. This is uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene I'm talking about. Yes, In any case, Bob we'll Bobart we'll has engaged. Later. We'll get to Marjorie Taylor Greene later. Sure. So. But, you know, Bobart certainly did talk about uh, Ilhan Omar being part of the, the jihad squad uh, and so on. So remarkable comments. And again, unpunished by the Republican leadership. Indeed. And, uh, you know, on to McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican and uh, current minority leader. In the United States House, uh, McCarthy represents the 23rd Congressional District in the state of California. He hopes to become Speaker of the House uh, one day. And uh, when the, 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 congressional dis, uh, the Congressional Session begins in January 2023, McCarthy is an apologist for the racist and dangerous activities of his Republican House colleagues. McCarthy overlooked, as we said earlier on, the Islamophobic attack by the aforementioned Bobert on her Democratic colleague, Omar. Uh, just to name one of the incidents, what do you think of uh, Kevin McCarthy about his leadership and his coward and his spineless behavior? Well, just that. I think he's a coward and, and his, his behavior has been spineless. He is completely, un, you know, he's a complete opportunist. He wants to be the big man. He wants to be the boss again, the majority leader. Uh, and to do that, like so many people in the Republican Party, he is not only loath to criticize uh, President Trump and some of his more extreme allies uh, within the Congress, but in fact promotes them, right? The idea I mentioned earlier uh, that Paul Gosar should be rewarded with better committee assignments uh, rather than punished, uh, as I think uh, most you know, sort of decent-thinking Americans would think. So, you know, uh, he's more of an apologist uh, for the white nationalists and the Islamophobes and the rest of them uh, than anything else. Uh, but it is for purely opportunistic and self-interested reasons. So he, he is the minority leader in the United States House of Representatives. Does he have any affiliation with racist radical right? Not that I know of. You know, essentially, he's out there defending the ideas uh, of the radical right or defending his colleagues who espouse those ideas. Indeed. Uh, and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a far-right conspiracy theorist who happened to be a Republican member of the United States House of Representatives. Uh, she represents uh, Georgia's 14th Congressional District. Since becoming a, coming a congresswoman earlier this year, she has uttered many crazy, absurd, and nonsensical announcements. Marcus Taylor Green, another darling of the right, the extreme right wing uh, in this country. 
probably more so than anyone else in Congress, uh, in fact. You know, she is a QAnon believer, or has said many things, suggested that she uh, believes the QAnon conspiracy theory, which we mentioned early, earlier about Democrats being involved in a massive pedophile ring and so on. Um, and, yeah, I mean, she uh, went on and she joined her colleague, Lauren Boebert, uh, in saying of Ilhan Omar uh, that uh, Omar is, quote, pro-Al-Qaeda, uh, that she is essentially on the side of the terrorists. That's quite a remarkable statement to make uh, about a member of Congress, right, that they are in favor uh, of the group which murdered more than 3,000 Americans uh, in 2001. Of course, there's like uh, virtually everything Marjorie Taylor Greene talks about is completely and utterly false. Uh, but she just goes on and on and on and on. Uh, it never ends. Uh, when Congresswoman Mace uh, criticized the Islamic, uh, Islamophobic comments of Green uh, and Boebert, uh, Green's response was to call Mace, among other things, quote-unquote pro-abort. Uh, meaning pro-abortion, which is a ridiculous uh, twisting of, in fact, what uh, Congresswoman Mace believes, which is that there should be exceptions uh, in the anti-abortion laws and prohibitions of abortion for things like incest uh, and rape. So it's, in fact, uh, Congresswoman Mace had a very moderate position, but, you know, here is Marjorie Taylor Greene calling her, you know, pro-abortion. It's just ridiculous. Uh, and yet there it is. And uh, Taylor Green also referred to some of her Republican colleagues as trash. Yes. Well, and specifically Congresswoman Mace. She talk, called her the trash of the GOP conference. Uh, you know, we're Republican in name only. Um, you know, so uh, again, I just think that these kinds of comments demonizing uh, specific individuals, in fact, result uh, oftentimes in criminal violence. And, you know, it's a fact uh, that Ilhan Omar, after these attacks on her as being pro-Al-Qaeda and so on, uh, played to the public at a press conference, uh, one particular, one of hundreds apparently, really graphic death threats. Uh, you know, I mean, so graphic that, you know, we, we aren't allowed to uh, actually read the contents of what was said with the, uh, in this threat on the radio. So, you know, my point being that uh, words have consequences. Uh, you know, when you demonize people like this, uh, it's not terribly surprising uh, when violence is carried out against them. And uh, in addition to Bobert, Taylor Greene, McCarthy, there are many other Republicans in the House who deserve not to be there, in a, apart from, say, voting these people out in their respective districts next November, what else can be done to unseat these people? Because whether they're Republicans or Democrats, these people have no place in being inside the United States Congress. These people should not be making laws for the people with those crazy Ideas. I don't think they believe any of them. They're just doing this for political gain. I must, must say your thoughts. Well, you know, uh, I spent many, many years uh, using uh, and trying to encourage the use of shame uh, to criticize these politicians and other leaders who promoted uh, utterly false ideas like this. Uh, and that used to work in American politics rather well. Uh, you know, when we think about things like the ethics committees in Congress and so on, uh, essentially they don't have a lot of powers. They use the power of shame, right, to call someone out, 
someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene when they make these uh, crazy statements uh, that demonize uh, people. Uh, you know, what, what I'm getting to is, uh, you know, I, I think that there is, we've reached a certain level of shamelessness in our society where these people cannot be shamed. Uh, you point out that they've made some totally false statement about some individual, uh, and they simply double down and say it again. Uh, you know, so uh, so I guess really what I'm answering, what I'm saying to you in answer to your question is I'm no longer sure how to uh, battle them. Uh, you know, it is remarkable, really amazing to me that, you know, virtually all polls right now suggest uh, that, in fact, the Republicans will win back the House uh, in 2022 next fall. Uh, and, and that uh, is just an incredible thing, uh, given what's happening out there. You know, a part of the problem uh, is the demonization uh, of the media as a whole, right, to the point where huge numbers, tens of millions of Americans, uh, think that the media, quote unquote, is some sort of, uh, you know, uh, lying apparatus. Uh, as the neo-Nazi called them, the Lügenpresse, using the Nazi, Nazi term for the lying press, uh, which only, uh, you know, which is on the side of liberalism and the Democrats and so on. So the fact that, as I say, tens of millions of Americans do not believe the mainstream media, I'm talking about very serious media, the New York Times and, you know, other, you know, NBC News and, you know, the major uh, legacy media, is absolutely poisonous to our society. Uh, because, of course, and this is all aided and abetted by the Internet, which has provided, you know, so-called media organizations that will say virtually anything. So, you know, we're, we're living in a world right now uh, in which almost no matter what you believe, you can find some quote-unquote media organization on the Internet uh, which says you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, yes, the Democrats are involved in a gigantic pedophilia ring uh, or whatever it may be. You're listening to What's Your Point on WPKN Radio. My guest is Mark Potok, an expert on right-wing extremism. I am Garnet Anklander. Mark, I think one of the things, too, that is uh, going to be causing the Republicans to retake the United States House is the gerrymandering situation, which we should get rid of, because that is certainly hurting uh, the entire country, because we have a situation where a minority is running the country and it happens all the time when the uh the presidency is won by the by the the, the part the president who who loses the popular vote but wins the 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 the, the, the electoral college and i think something should be done about this gerrymandering because it's not a true reflection of what's going to happen and also if the republicans which i consider to be a cult not a political party if they win next year god help us yeah, I mean, we are in a time of terrible trouble. It's, you know, the, the, the Democrats have proved uh, too weak, basically, or not willing to really take on gerrymandering. Uh, the courts increasingly have been very little help. And, of course, that is led by the uh, radicalization, again, of the Supreme Court. Um, and, you know, what we're seeing is the Republicans going wild. I mean, the idea that 20 or 30, well, I guess it's 30 states now have passed or proposed very serious voting suppression laws, uh, in addition to carrying out uh, this unbelievably partisan gerrymandering that you referenced, uh, is really, really dangerous uh, to our society. 
you know, it is hard to uh, imagine how we are going to fight back against this, uh, in particular because the Democrats seem unwilling uh, to, uh, you know, really take it on uh, in, in a direct and strong way. So, you know, I wish that the Democrats would find ways to fight back uh, seriously. Um, but there doesn't seem to be the, the kind of gumption within the Democratic conference uh, to really face these things directly, other than to complain about them a lot. Indeed. And I keep saying that this fight here that I'm fighting on this show is not about political ideology, because uh, I don't see the Republicans in the House and the Senate and the Congress as conservatives. I see them as a bunch of racist undemocratic, misogynist people who should not be helping to govern this country. Well, that's right. I mean, they're completely unwilling to discuss in any reasonable way any topic. You know, think of immigration. Uh, You know, uh, it it seems to me obvious that if we were a more rational country, uh, we would be having some kind of serious debate about immigration, which would ultimately result in immigration reform. And I don't say that strictly, you know, from the sort of liberal point of view of we should let in tons more immigrants, uh, you know, and and that will be great. Uh, I think, you know, there's obviously a middle ground in which uh, steps are taken to preserve or enhance national security, but all also uh, to make immigration less of a, a racist uh, and really terrible process. Um, but there's no willingness. There's no one in the, you know, or very, almost no one in the Republican conference uh, who is willing to seriously discuss these issues. So time and time again, uh, you know, we haven't had immigration reform in this country in 35 years. Uh, and that is thanks to the Republican Party, as well as a set uh, of nativist, of anti-immigration organizations that have been pumping propaganda uh, into the political mainstream for the last 30 or 40 years. A bunch of racist, undemocratic people should not be governing this nation. No, this is not 1822. This is 2022. And um, it's a sad state of affairs. They call the United States Congress the deliberative body of the world. Where, what are they talking about? This has become like a third world country, the governance of this country. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I basically agree. I think that, uh, you know, our rulers, that the, the, the so-called democratic bodies, small d democratic bodies uh, that govern the republic, uh, have been poisoned uh, by this propaganda, by conspiracy theories, uh, by the kind of opportunism we see on the part of uh, leaders like Kevin McCarthy. And, you know, I wish I could tell uh, you and, uh, uh, Mark, that I had some Mark, kind of simple Mark, answer. I'm sorry, but we've got to go. Thank you so much. I've uh, got to go. Thank you so much. We have a lot more to talk about, but thanks. And uh, we'll talk another time. Thanks again, Mark, for doing this. <laughs> okay, thanks for having me. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Uh, this has been What's Your Point right here on WPKN Radio 89.5 FM. <laughs> Support for WPKN comes from Toad's Place of New Haven, the place where legends come to play. Saxophonist Marion Meadows brings you his holiday show December 11th at 9 p.m. Doors open at 8 p.m. Marion Meadows at toadsplace.com. This is FC Buzz on WPKN Radio.
a brief look at what's happening around Fairfield County. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County and our weekly selection from FC Buzz Events, the best guide to arts and culture in coastal Fairfield County. Find it at culturalalliancefc.org. Sunday, 12 to 4, head to Arts at the Meeting House at Ridgeberry Church, Ridgefield, for the opening reception of Spirituality and Nature, a special exhibition by five local artists, including Cultural Alliance members Nancy Moore and Chris Tuhi. Sunday, 12.15, enjoy a festive music celebration with the Fairfield County Children's Choir at Bridgeport's Klein Memorial Auditorium. Holidays in Harmony celebrates the joyous return to live music by talented children from 19 neighboring towns, including seasonal favorites from a wide variety of composers. Sunday, 1 to 5, the beginning of the holiday season in Reading is marked by the 49th annual Mark Twain Library Art Show in the Library Gallery. This annual fundraiser provides necessary support for the library's many programs while also supporting local artists. Juror for the 2021 exhibit is Jennifer Gennari. Sunday at 1 o'clock and 5 o'clock. Enjoy a timeless seasonal story at the Norwalk Concert Hall as the Norwalk Symphony presents Amal and the Night Visitors. This chamber opera has been a holiday favorite since 1951. The cast includes the local talent of boy soprano Henry Brauweiler as Amal and board member and Met chorus singer Mary Petro Noonan as the mother. The Kings are played by Angel Ryland, Alex Patry, and Markel Reed. Also featured are dancers from the New England Academy of Dance and the Norwalk Symphony Chorus. Monday, 6.30 on Zoom, Wilton Library presents a conversation between author and music historian Stephen Christ and musicologist Gil Harrell as they discuss Dave Brubeck's iconic album Time Out as well as Brubeck's music and life. A recording of the ribbon-cutting ceremony of the Brubeck collection will open the program. Monday at 7, Broadway Unplugged Act, ACT of Connecticut. Resident music supervisor and Broadway music director Brian Perry brings one of his Broadway celebrity friends to ACT of Connecticut for an evening of song, story, and fun conversation. For details on these and hundreds more events, check FC Buzz Events at culturalalliancefc.org. This was FC Buzz on WPKN Radio. Next up on the WPKN Environmental Film Series, Wednesday, December 8th at 7 p.m., is the film David Attenborough, A Life on Our Planet. In his 93 years, the great environmental broadcaster has visited the wild places of our planet on every continent, where he has documented its amazing beauty and the monumental negative impact of humanity on nature. 
Join WPKN for a wonderfully honest, beautifully filmed documentary about one of Earth's great friends and protectors, broadcaster David Attenborough, A Life on Earth, at the Bijou Theater in downtown Bridgeport at 7 p.m. Bring proof of vaccination and a mask. Hi, this is Shirley Manson from Garbage, and you're listening to WPKN Bridgeport, broadcasting at 89.5 FM and streaming at WPKN.org.